This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, Portland Real Estate Podcast listeners, this is episode number three. I'm here with Steve. We're back. We've got a great episode for you. We've actually got a great interview this episode, but before we get into that, I figured we'd chat a little bit, see what's going on with each other's businesses. What's going on, Steve? Hey, Tucker. Excited to be back. Thanks for the intro here. So what's going on with you this week? What's happening on the premier property front? You know, we've got a ton going on on two different levels, as usual. I've got a lot going on on the broker level, and then I've got a lot going on on the brokerage level. On the broker level, actually just started working this week with a really exciting client. Believe it or not, when we're done here, I'm heading over to Westland, Pete's Mountain Road. I'm going to show a $5 million house to him. He owns and operates one of the largest truck manufacturing companies based out of Portland here. You could probably guess the name. We're going to be listing a house of his here in the near future, a couple million dollar place in Lake Oswego as well. So that's pretty exciting. I've been working with a new listing specialist. We're getting ready to bring on a new agent to the team. On the brokerage level, we're hiring a couple new office managers, one for the Hollywood office, one for the Lake Oswego office. We're rolling out our new marketing platform, which we're super excited about. It's going to allow all of our agents in about 90 seconds to order all the marketing they would need for a listing, including but not limited to photography, the sign in the yard, 3D tours, also video tours with drone flyover, professional voiceover. The site that we're using that all our agents can order off of is actually marketingppg.com. That's www.marketingppg.com. Really cool concept, super easy and efficient for our agents to use. So we've got a lot going on here. How about yourself, Tucker? What do you got going on? Well, that sounds like a pretty cool platform, first off. I mean, that seems like it pretty much eliminates a lot of the heavy lifting for you guys, which is really cool. So that's cool to hear about. On my front, it's been kind of a crazy week. We just finalized some updated plans. So Street of Dreams this year is over off of Nas and Goodall in Lake Oswego. They asked us to be a part of it this year. I chose not to put myself through the brain damage that ensues in being part of that show. But instead, we bought a big chunk of dirt actually right down the street from it. And so we just finalized our plans for the home that we're going to build on that piece of dirt. So it'll be a you know probably two plus million dollar home. I'm really excited about how the plans turned out. So we're actually submitting for our building permit here uh, sometime early next week. So really stoked about that. In addition to that, kind of on the not so nice front, I had to sit in front of the uh, Development Review Commission for the city of Lake Oswego on Monday night, and I got absolutely crucified <laughs> by uh, a few of their members who said some not so very nice things about me that I think were not necessarily warranted, but it was a good learning experience in what the Development Review Commission intends to do whenever you have a neighborhood association and a builder on the docket. So. It was an interesting learning experience, we'll put it that way. We could talk more offline about maybe some of the explicitives that would describe my feelings. But other than that, it's been a good week. We sold that rehab we talked about last time. Market seems to still be hot, 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 man. We've got a rehab we're starting first part of next week, which is a great southeast property. It's actually a triple lot. It's a great ranch. It's even got a pole barn on it. So it's kind of your perfect southeast property for like a contractor or somebody with a lot of stuff. But, you know, we keep looking at what we're going to sell that thing for, and it's just crazy what prices are going for in kind of the Foster Powell area. That neighborhood has just changed a ton in the last, really in just the last year. So 
lot going on over here too. You know, most of it's good. Some of it's a little challenging, but hey, that's that's the real estate business. So, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But wait a minute, everybody is doing it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, market's hot. But that kind of segues into our guest today, who is a guy that I haven't personally met him before, other than today. But I have seen his mug on the billboard, so I have to say, you know, just by virtue of that, he's got to be one of directors and players. So I'm super happy to have him on the show, and I'm sure that he's got a lot of really cool stuff that he can talk about and let us know what is going on on the mortgage side of the business. So Travis Olson from Directors Mortgage, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Hopefully our video and our my audio is working okay. I think it's working just fine. So Steve, do you want to jump into it? You and Travis know each other a little better yeah. than I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tucker, I was thrilled to have Travis on here. He's actually two things. I mean, first of all, Directors is Premier Property Group's preferred lender. And and that was not a task that we took lightly. We had interviewed in the past, I mean, brought in all the big players in Portland mortgage scene and sat them down, said, what do you have? What do you offer us? And hands down, Directors Mortgage came out as the no-brainer in that process. So not only is Travis our company's preferred mortgage company, but he is my individual preferred lender. And so much of my business I send to Travis when I can. And he just does a fantastic job. In addition to being a lender and boots on the ground doing loans, he's also a branch manager of their corporate headquarters there in Lake Oswego. So he's got a ton of experience. He does a lot of the hiring and the opposite of hiring. <laughs> <laughs> when necessary. So he's seen it all. He's a great person for us to bring onto the show, talk to about what is going on in that business. I mean, that business, as you and I both know, Tucker, as both being former mortgage guys, has just gone through and continues to go through just roiling changes for the past, gosh, I guess it's going on seven, eight years now. And I don't think that's stopped. And I think it's going to continue for many years to come. What's the latest and greatest, Travis? You know, it's crazy. You're exactly right. The only constant in our business, it seems like, anymore is change, which keeps it fresh. I laughed at your comment about it. You know, everybody getting in the real estate business right now, and it's so funny. I look around, and I see uh, I see that every day, and that's why you know, it's, it's so nice for us to work with a group of professionals. You know, Steve's team at PPG have been phenomenal. They've got an amazing system, and they've got amazing efficiencies, and quite frankly, those are the exact type of people that we want to be associated with. Because in this day and age, with all the compliance changes and TRID and CFPB and all these nasty words you, you hear about, you know, it was August 1st that our world was going to change now. They've moved it back to October 1st. And I even heard that the credit NCUA is pushing towards bumping that back even to January 1st. So we're just kind of on hold at this point as an industry. As a company, we are, you know, pushing forward to make sure that we have the proper systems implemented so that we do really have very little transition when, when we do get to that compliance change. So that's probably the biggest thing on the horizon for the industry. What makes me more nervous than anything else is when I, you know, I am setting a closing and I've got listing agents that are asking me, now what, what about this compliance thing? Is it really going to happen? And I mean, those are the things that scare the, the heck out of me because right now education and knowledge and making sure that our agent partners understand that this change will take place is huge. I think we've done a great job, but there's still a huge segment of the real estate community right now that has no idea what I'm even talking about when we talk about TRID, when we talk about CFPB and the changes. So what are the, you know, the layman's notes for, you know, obviously me and Steve have been in the business a little bit. You're way more up to speed on everything than us. But for the average bear, what are these changes that they're trying to impose right now that are 
basically going to try and turn your world upside down again. No, it's not going to turn the world upside down. It's just going to create a whole different level of expectations. And really, it's just compliance documentation, reporting, compliance, disclosure, working together with Astro to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So really what it comes down to is just making sure that your lender and your escrow person are up to speed and they're communicating and disclosing properly to the client. So I think you're going to see the larger players either really getting out ahead of this. Some of your brokerages are, I think, going to be kind of behind the eight ball. So this is an hour conversation or a two-hour conversation. Unfortunately, there's not really just a brush over I can give you, but I can assure you that we are on top of it as industry and as a company. I don't see big changes. I see the day of three-week closes are done for the most part. 30 to 45 day closes, I think are still very realistic. You know, I don't think you're going to see if you were to go to the CFPB's website, they're saying 90 days on all transactions. The top escrow people that I've talked to, you know, the WFGs will tell you that it's, you know, 40 closes, still very realistic. It's just going to be communicating and setting expectations. So basically then what you're telling me, Travis, is that really the changes just impact the length of closing. That's essentially what it's going to do because it's more regular. Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell or layman's terms, Tucker, that's exactly right. Okay. What it's going to do is it's going to just necessitate that there's more communication and that there's consistent communications on, on all parties. Okay. What do you think personally as far as realistic closing timelines for a normal purchase? Right now about 45 days is about what people like to give themselves. I've seen people do it quicker, but you know that tends to be the norm. Do you think that's going to get pushed out more or do you think that it's just going to be tougher to make you know, it's, 45 days? No, I honestly don't. I think 45 will remain will remain consistent in this market. And that's certainly what my team and what my group and what I'm pushing my people to present as realistic within the market. You know, the funky thing is, is we're in such a competitive market right now and we've got agents that are going into multiple offer situations and Steve can attest to this because he sees it every day. What's going to stop are three week closes, two week closes. Tucker, in your world, in the construction world, that's going to be very interesting. Last minute change request orders. I don't know how we're going to deal with that because we're going to have to submit any changes that come in last minute means our redisclosure clock, if you will, it starts over every time there's something that changes. So we're going to have to make sure that as a lender and a builder, we're communicating very closely. How long does that clock have to wind up to, Travis? It depends, but a client needs to be notified and basically the disclosure clock at three days starts over. Gotcha. So it's a big pain in the butt. I mean, really, and it's going to probably, I mean, fortunately for us, we don't do a lot of custom build stuff. It's all spec, but on the custom build front, yeah, those changes or those change orders that then affect the price, you know, that's a re-underwrite, that's a re-disclose. That's, you know, that's a lot of pain and suffering in your world. Hey, Travis, you know, the other thing that really has changed as far as I've witnessed firsthand being a former mortgage guy and then going into the real estate side of things, is also the costs associated and added in with compliance. You know, back in the old days, in the old days, I would say 10 years ago, compliance was pretty minimal. And I viewed, one that, you know, one of the things I loved about the mortgage industry at that time was I felt like the feet on the ground, the loan officers, they were very heavy weighted towards revenue on the feet on the ground, the industry was. Meaning a loan officer would go out, they'd find the deal, they'd get the deal done, they'd keep the lion's share of the money, the house would take you know, just a small amount. It seems like as these compliance issues have been added and added and layered upon layered on, that it's gotten to where, I mean, in this day and age, I'd say pretty across the board, the house is at least making 50% of the money that is coming from origination and so much of that is going towards compliance these compliance departments i've heard with some of these mortgage companies 
in general, I mean, no specific one, just it's kind of the reality, are almost the most expensive department within the company. Would you say, or the largest department within the company, would you say that's accurate? You know, speaking from my experience in the companies that I've worked for, I mean, compliance, it's a huge piece. And it's a huge department, I think, with any, within any organization that is truly trying to stay ahead of the game. I know here at Directors, we've got a compliance department. We've been kicking around the idea of having a separate disclosure desk where we have one desk and one individual team that does handle all of our clients' disclosures. So yeah, it's definitely something that we've been budgeting for and planning for. And yeah, you're correct. Back in the day, I mean, we just didn't deal with this. But anymore, I mean, anytime there's any type of a change that is an APR-driven change, it kicks that redisclosure and that we have to be careful. Every little possible thing like that. And ultimately, where a lot of the expenses came back to bite a lot of the letters in the rear is that they don't want to redisclose. So that what they end up doing is they end up eating those fees. Yeah, that's what I was So it cuts into the margin, which has already been so thin. So it's an additional expense. It's additional you know, hoop that we need to jump through. You know, honestly, from a client's perspective, it's a great thing because the client really does win throughout all this. As long as their loan officer and their agent and when they're working with the builder, their builder are all communicating. From a cost perspective, it really does protect the client's. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that was the whole goal of, you know, basically the whole overhaul of this business, but it doesn't come without, you know, a lot of added paper pushing and then, of course, additional hoops on, on your <laughs> business to, to deal with. So, it, you know, fortunately, Directors is a, is a pretty robust company. You guys have enough people and capital and market share to be able to afford to do that, but it definitely squeezes out the smaller shops, that's for sure, because, you know, it mm-hmm. takes, like you said, you might have a whole desk just for disclosures. That's one person's job. We've got all these changes going on as far as on the compliance side. The pendulum has kind of swung really far that way on the compliance side. With the loan program side, the pendulum seems like it might be swinging back a little bit. Steve sent me an article link, and and obviously you saw as well, for interest-only loans coming back. You know, what do you feel as far as the loan program side of the business? Do you feel like maybe some of the loan programs from yesteryear might be creeping back into it, maybe with more responsible guidelines, but you think they might be coming back? You know, I really do. I think that's a great point. And in today's world, what we call our, you know, what we look at, we look at what are called QM loans and non-QM loans. So qualified mortgages and non-qualified mortgages. So your qualified mortgages are your vanilla stuff that fit in the box that everybody in town can do. Your non-QM stuff would be your interest-only type of stuff or anything that doesn't fit within the box. And I'm seeing investors cautiously come back with some of that non-QM stuff, if you will. For example, our jumbo products, we're seeing investors go 90% not, excuse me, 90% jumbo with no MI. And you're seeing that fairly standard across the board, which I think is a great insight. Now, to get that, you're not a 620 credit score buyer with, you know, six months on the job. Either. They've also upped their credit standards and their qualifying standards. So they're protecting their, you know, their back end as well. And we are seeing some more interest-only stuff come back on the market as well. And, and I actually even heard this morning in my sales meeting, there's talk of non-QM stated, stated income stuff, Ooh. responsible <laughs> stated income um, that may be, be able to be verified with bank statements. So, but that's huge. That's a huge step in the right direction for a self-employed buyer, you know, because um, we've got buyers that, that, you know, have very creative accounting. Yeah, I think there's a huge market for that stated loan with responsible guidelines, but you know, maybe a 70% loan to value, purchase only, no cash out type stuff. 
for your truly self-employed person that has enough skin in the game and a high enough credit score, I think that's a great loan. Personally, I think that's one of the safest loans that you can make as a lender. But of course, you know, I'm not writing the rules for it. But it sounds like people are starting to recognize that could be a huge market share. It could be a huge source of, you know, loan volume for them that are actually a, a really quality loan and would, you know, create a really quality portfolio. So I guess there, there's hope that some of these programs with responsible guidelines might be making their way back. That's definitely something I've seen, guys, with regards to jumbo financing. I mean, I think that's a story that has kind of, you know, gone a little bit unnoticed in how much that yeah. has recovered in the past yeah. three, four years. The difference is, I mean, coming out of the, the housing downturn, I mean, there was nothing moving above 417 at all for several years in a row. And then it just kind of started slowly thawing. And, and now, if you look at around Portland and, and Lake Oswego, especially, and, you know, some of these higher price areas, those are moving really, really nicely because of the flowing of jumbo products once more. As Travis said, all the way up to 90% LTV, that really um, makes that buyer of those such a larger pool to, to only have to put 10% down. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I can attest to that being that most of the stuff that we sell is the million dollar plus price point. And uh, we've seen, you know, lots of, you know, most recently we sold one for nine ninety five, and somebody had put 10% down. And I think they had an OMI loan. It was, it was crazy. But, you know, you're right, Steve, those loan programs didn't exist coming out of the, you know, the real estate carnage years. And so that higher price point stuff, it really affected the prices you're selling for because, you know, real estate sells as a function of how easy it is to finance. And so if that higher price point stuff can't finance well, really you're looking at high down payment or cash buyers, which, you know, that pushes downward pressure on your prices on that high end stuff. So having the ability to have those loan programs out there that are make sense loan programs, but it allows those higher end buyers to buy those higher end homes almost the same as the lower end buyers buy the lower end homes, which makes it a you know a much more fluid market for us. With you know everything that's going on right now, Steve and I were kind of in the business of trying to see what's going to happen in the market moving forward. You know, for me, so that I can plan our pipeline and what we're going to build, where we're going to build, what kind of margins I have to factor in. Steve, obviously, in terms of you know marketing and trying to get houses on the market maybe before a turn or or you know just having a little foresight. What do you think is going to happen to rates over the course of the next twelve months, and and how do you personally think that that's going to affect you know the the mortgage business and the real estate market as a whole? You know, I think that honestly, we're going to see rates increase. It's just a matter of when and, and how much. But I've been saying that for eight years. It's the funniest thing. I keep saying the same thing. But we are still in such a competitive rate environment right now that even if we do see a three-eighths to a half a point bump, I still think we're going to be in a competitive purchase market. I don't think it's going to be enough that it's going to bump that buyer out of the market from a financial position or from a mental position. I think the biggest challenge that we run into is the client that mentally has a 4% rate in his mind, he has to come to terms with the fact that that, you know, that market's changed and now we're at four and a half, but still we're not going to see a fluctuation in payment that's going to be enough that it's going to knock him out of qualifying most likely. So, I mean, I'm very optimistic and I think as long as we keep rates at that 5% or better range, I think, you know, mentally people are going to still keep moving. You know, we're running right now, even in this environment right now, an 80 to 82% purchase run rate right now. You know, I know that's high for the industry, but I think as we see rates increase, we're going to see our purchase business increase as well. So I'm very, very optimistic. I agree with you. I think that, you know, I remember, Steve, you probably do too. Remember when rates were five and a half, six percent 6%? I mean, we were selling loans like it was hotcakes, you know, and I think it's all relative to what people think. And you're right, Travis, with the, the mental thing of, 
well, I'm not getting 4%. I'm going to get 45 or 5%. It really, you know, that's cheap, cheap money. And I think people just have to kind of mentally accept it. But, yeah, I don't think that a 5% or even a 5.5% interest rate is really going to kill much of the purchase market personally. I agree. I agree. I think when you have a rate increase, the most painful part of it is the immediate after effects. And, gosh, as it's happening, I mean, I remember as a mortgage guy, some of the worst days of my life were during those dramatic rate increases of a half percent, three quarters of a percent within a short period of time. Because you would talk to someone on Monday, say, here's what I can do. Here's the numbers. Here's what your payment looks like. Go find a house. And then suddenly they're calling you on Wednesday with an accepted offer in hand or Thursday. And you're just breaking the worst possible news to them and, and trying not to sound like some shady person who's, you know, ch changing things up on them. And if you're a big producer like, you know, like Travis is, you might be having that call, you know, five to ten times on that day. So it is really, really painful as it's occurring. Once the dust settles and reality sets in, and I always, one thing I always used to love to do when that happened personally in my business was I would find the first CNBC article that I could find that explained that rates were up and, you know, how much, and they would quote Freddie Mac as saying that, you know, they've increased this much. And every time I'd have that conversation, I'd say, you know, I'm gonna, about to shoot you an article I want you to see that was in the news, just so I had some validity behind me from a neutral party so I didn't sound and feel like it was something that I was manufacturing on, in my office and they needed to call everyone else and shop it around and make sure I was, you know, telling them the truth. But once those dramatic increases do happen and they go up, you know, I think I'm with you guys, five and a half percent. Yeah, it's going to impact. It, it will impact various aspects of the market. It will impact appreciation because, you know, if you go from four percent to five and a half percent, you know, those the median income is the median income. You know, that's not going up as well. So I think in Portland, that's household income median is about eighty thousand dollars. So the average person at four percent can qualify for X. Well, if they're five and a half percent, you know, that same median income is the same. So now they all qualify for X minus, you know, whatever the difference is. So it will affect the housing market. But a lot of people in this day and age with responsible lending as it still is, aren't stretching themselves to the absolute max. So they can still qualify for something or close to where they be. It might have, you know, pushed them a little bit out of their comfort zone, but they're still easily qualified for it. And so the housing market can move forward. I think you're right. I definitely agree with you. I think we've all got a pretty positive outlook on it. Now, of course, we're all in the real estate business, so you know we're going to tend to to err on that side. But we've all been through the ups and downs, and we've ridden this crazy roller coaster. So I think we we're looking at it from a pretty realistic you know point of view as well. So anyway, all right. Well, hey, Travis, we won't take up any more of your time. I appreciate you coming on here and giving us your insight. If people are interested in you know finding out more about you or directors or you know need to get themselves a loan for an upcoming purchase or refinance, what would be the best way for them to get a hold of you? Honestly, the best way, I am so old school, the best way is to reach out on my cell phone and they can reach me at, at uh, 503-449-3807. And I am always available on that number and easy to track down. My email is just my first and last name, T. Olson, O-L-S-O-N, at directorsmortgage.net. If they forget, they can drive around and see as my kids say one of my big head billboards somewhere and chat uh, the number down there. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure that uh, we put it in the show notes, too, so that people can just link over to you there so they don't have to necessarily track down a big head billboard to get a hold of you. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks a lot for coming on, Travis. Guys, and I'll try to get a better connection next time. 
Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Well, this wraps up this episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Steve, thanks for joining me. Travis, thanks for being our guest. I will see you guys next week, and so will Steve. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.